Welcome to Tag Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara. One part small talk, all parts real talk. This is the part of the day when Ajit gets to know the people behind the job titles at Tag. Hello, my name is Ajit Kara and I'm the CEO of Tag Americas. I believe that every company's biggest asset are its people. And I'm very fortunate to work at Tag where I think we have amazing people. So I decided to do a podcast to really understand what makes them tick and who are the people behind the curtain, so to speak. Today, I'm delighted that I've got Devon Nutter. Uh, he is a um, strategic sourcing director in our business. I'm very much looking forward to his conversation. As always, this podcast is produced by Kaylee Stansfield. Kaylee, how are you? I'm well, Edget. How are you today? Not too bad. Not too bad. Anything interesting happening in your life in the last 24, 36 hours? <laughs> You overestimate me. I used to be fun. <laughs> now I just sit home watching TV oh, like really? I did last night. I oh. just watched the last episode of uh, Only Murders in the Building, oh, which when funny. I watched season one, I you know had my doubts uh, You know, a few episodes in, but I'm totally hooked. It's just I, t- pure pleasure. I love that series. And mm-hmm. uh, it's obviously about a podcast, which is mm-hmm. ironic. Mm-hmm. But I just started uh, season two, so only a few episodes in. So is it good? Oh, I think you'll love it. Really? It's just warm and fuzzy. Devon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Edget. My pleasure. Uh, cheers. Cheers, cheers. A uh, bit of wine. Is that nice? It is. Awesome. So, Devon, where are you from? Where were you born and where were you brought up? Well, I was born in North Carolina. Beautiful part of the world. And um, moved to uh, West Virginia at an infant age. Lived there until I went through college, graduated there from, I guess I moved when I was 23 years old. So I've been out of the state for almost most of, most of the time in my life. So I've actually lived out of West Virginia longer than I've lived in it at this point, but it's still very much part of home. So at home, family, children, pets? Oh yeah. My wife, Melissa, Melissa Borelli. We have different last names. It's kind of a, a fun thing we like to do with some people. Oh. Uh, have you named your children different surnames as well? No, uh, we have one daughter named Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Nutter. Then we have... Uh, a cohort of uh, animals. Oh, <laughs> so wow. My wife and I were married. She had two cats and I had two dogs, and we kind of had got used to having that many animals. And then uh, through attrition at an age, uh, we've lost some of those. But the plan was to narrow it down to two dogs only. And then uh, a stray cat wandered into our neighborhood and looked really decimated, and I could not turn away uh, the cat, so I had to feed it knowing what would come with it. <laughs> uh, that cat's called Buttercup. <laughs> and... Uh, so uh, she's permanent fixture of the family. Then my wife, my daughter wanted uh, two kittens for Christmas, and we got her two kittens. So wow. it's, it's a growing family. Animals are very interesting. You know, they're just they're very, they're very special. And, and uh, I think the podcast users know that I'm very attached to my little dog, and uh, he's very special. And uh, they lighten the life, don't they? They light the life. They do. And it's funny you mentioned a little dog. It's uh, one of the reasons uh, Melissa and I got together was because uh, she. At the time, I was playing a lot of music, and I looked very alternative, like you know, eyebrow piercing, and <laughs> earrings, and oh yay, you know, rock T-shirts and torn jeans and things. And I'm walking into the office. We used to work at this company. It was very casual, creative retail space, and uh, I had my little Chihuahua with me. <laughs> and she's like, "This guy can't be all bad." <laughs> so I had him like tucked in my hoodie, and again, his head was hanging out. And uh, I think you could look quite scary in that sort of attire, because yeah, you're, you're, you're a tall fella, you're a big fella. I can look quite scary on any given day, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but back to music then. So you were heavy into music. Yeah, uh, really into music. Um, at a young age, just, uh, I remember it started with, uh, actually it was the Meatloaf Bad Out of Hell album. Oh, wow. Oh, I remember that. Hearing that on 8-track. And uh, 
my favorite song, you know, fading out and then continuing on the next program. And it's really fun. But I remember the drums. Uh, there were some like alliterations of the drums of the heart still beating and hear the thumbs of the drums. And uh, that kind of drew me to it. Then obviously Kiss, Peter, Chris, and the sparks and the fire. And You practiced the drumming. Drumming was my thing. Yeah, it still is. I've come come back to it, actually. Um, I played very seriously for several years. And um, in West Virginia, growing up, it was like cover bands, bar bands, all through college. And then uh, I moved away. And um, within about a year, I was back in the drums. So I went, came down to Georgia, uh, got into a few bands, and uh, we kind of made a go at it, you know, recording some albums, doing oh, wow. some shows, touring the Southeast. And My goodness, what was your band called? Uh, the last band was called Dear Enemy. Well, and, and rock music? Uh, well, it's interesting because if we we're rock metal, right? So uh, it's really difficult. If you were a metal fan, a diehard metal fan, uh, like the shredding and the scream core, you'd call us rock. <laughs> if you liked rock, you call us metal. And I, I think I'm to blame for that because I, I didn't like the same, the shredding, the, the, just the constant barrage of drumming. I like to play with a little bit of swing and some, and some swagger into it. Uh, so I think I kind of anchored it back in. I'm looking at your album covers in the room here. A lot of funk drumming. My sister introduced me to some of that. I'm looking to see which one is yours. What was yours album called? Did it? Did you sell any, or did it actually get produced? Uh, it's on iTunes now. It's called the Devon Sessions because oh, I I, yeah. uh, I left the band after having some you know some thoughts in the music industry and where things were going. So I kind of had an ultimate decision that I needed to for the better of myself, my life. Uh, I needed to walk away from the business. But um, right, the the roadie wasn't for you. The road wasn't for me. The alcohol wasn't for me. <laughs> the you know, it's just the, the scenery and just the industry itself was pretty toxic at that time. But we're coming in. At the, we're talking about a time frame where, like, mechanical, physical CDs and things were falling out of vogue, and digital was coming in. The industry hasn't quite know what to do with it yet. So it, it, it was quite a career jump then. From you know, I appreciate you moving away from that, and I'll look up Devon Devon Sessions, as you say, uh, at, um, on, on iTunes. I'll send you a link. Yes, please. And um, <laughs> But that's a jump to go, you know, to walk away from that for obviously understandable reasons. Um, what made you jump into this kind of industry? Well, I went to school for printing, actually, in college. Um, again, music drove me there. It's interesting because out of high school, we had this crazy dream of, you know, going out to L.A. and doing the thing. But we were nerds and kind of responsible. So we had two guys who had to graduate college because you had to have some backup plans. Right. And then... Uh, Lo and behold, within that first year, I started going to, going to a local college, and of course the band broke up, and uh, yeah. all that faded away. So I found a printing program there, and I liked it. It, it. it applied to me. I loved it. It was equal parts creative and equal parts process, so it appealed to both sides of my brain, and I was really drawn into it. So did you did you go through? I had um, you know my first business was a, had a printing element to it, and uh, I saw firsthand that when you pass your apprenticeship what they do to you um, in the old days with paint. They, they tied people up against the wall and splattered them with paint. I'm sure that's illegal now, and lead painting probably isn't the right thing, but this is you know, 40 years ago. But did you go through something similar of that nature? I, in a college setting, I did, because uh, I used to run a web press in college for our school newspaper as part of our lab, and I, would, I, I could take the academic lab, or I wanted to do the one that actually had some output and some uh, product to put out. And uh, again, music... Uh, my we ran the paper the same night my band was supposed to be playing at a bar across the street. So I had to run in. I'd get there early. I'd do all the manual stripping. And I'd, I'd get the film output. And I'd burn all the plates, do the stripping, hang the, set the plates by all the units when everybody else in the lab would come in. I'm just like, hang your plates, get them ready, ink up, get, get going. I'm kind of calling it in. And uh, quickly, the professor there basically kind of, he, he, he christened me as the foreman of the, of the entire operation. And then 
one night we were running a, a color project and all the colors were like grossly out of register. I'm like, like three inches out. And he's over here in the corner laughing. And I realized he had gone through the whole press and changed the gear time oh, in every unit. That's, that's not nice. So <laughs> I said some not so great things to him and then went back in and opened up every unit. And I, I retimed every gear belt myself. Or It's a fascinating industry. And reasonably, when you're in it, you never leave it. And it's you know, also addictive to watch. And I don't think folks know how complicated printing is. And I know it's changed a lot with technology. But I remember the days when you'd have the Pantone books, the inks. And you see the folks mixing the inks and then you test it and you check it with a Pantone book. It's actually an incredibly skilled art. Um, I know it's more automated with technology now, but, you know, it's still not easy to get the colors that people just take for some when they see it out in the, in the field. They don't understand, even with the automation, how difficult it is to maintain it, right? And make sure the consistency is there, especially if you're dealing with multiple materials. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a... I can nerd out on color with you. I don't think you or the listeners would want to hear all that. But, uh, <laughs> so from printing, which I get, and you've got a passion for photography. Did that come from printing? Uh, no. Well, it came separately. Again, the printing, the photography, I think it all stemmed from my, when I was a child. I used to love Star Wars toys, and oh. I'd hold on to the packages because I just love seeing the big images, you know, something tangible to hold on to. And uh, so, again, understanding how those were made and then now the photography behind it, Side note of Star Wars, I found a photographer who shot all those product images, and I have his books now. It's really cool because he's gone back to his original films. But uh, I pulled my nerd card back in my pocket for a second. <laughs> are, are, you, are you a Trekkie? Is that what you're saying? Are you a Trekkie? Uh, no, I'm Star Wars. I, you're Star Wars. I like Star Trek, but I don't follow it as much. Star Wars appealed to me because there's a bit of fantasy, a little, a little bit of uh, good and evil in it. and. Uh, I don't know what this issue is between Trekkies and Star Wars. Like, it, you know, they're, they're, I love them both, but you know, they're just they're great. I think Star Trek for me just about nails it because you know it was written and produced in the '60s, I think, it late was. '60s. And you think about when I watch it, nearly every bit of technology that we have today came from those series, and and I think it inspired inventors. It inspired absolutely you know, a lot of like you know things that we take for granted, sliding doors or mobile phones or touch screens or you know all a communicator uh, on communica your exactly all came from i'm just yeah. fascinated when you go and watch the old ones you realize that everything of technology was predicted by them it was crazy yeah. i think it was just an idea of a creative writer and now it's how we live yeah, yeah. Have you, have you, don't tell me you go to the conventions uh yeah we would uh, my, my wife and i would go to one in atlanta called dragon con and, and i'll tell you what it's uh the best people watching you will ever have in your life <laughs> especially if you stay in the evening do, do you dress up we don't dress up um i have been i've come very close to wanting to join an organization called the 501st legion it's the star wars costumers team but because i think you could pull off what's the rather large animal chewbacca, chewbacca. <laughs> 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 i think you could put you know, you're almost big enough so I, I i think i could see that i could probably pull it off yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. did you see, see any people there that uh are famous because they often pop into these things, don't they? I ran into William Shatner. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, uh, we were. It's actually accidental. We were. Um, you walking. knocked him over because you're a Chewbacca. Yeah, <laughs> kind of it, really. <laughs> it's a green monster doing a slow motion fight scene with him. Um, no, it was, <laughs> it was literally he was coming out. He was like doing a VIP signing. And we were walking from one building to another, and literally the door opened, and I almost ran right into Bill Shatner. It was. Uh, I was like, "What are you?" doing here <laughs> <laughs> he's a legend he really is so coming back to you tell me more like i know that you grew up you know family's important to you who did you grow up with then 
Well, I grew up uh, living with my mother and my sister until my sister went to college. So like that for me was like in second grade. Yeah. My sister left a huge imprint on me again with the music. I, you know, she introduced me to Prince and some of the funk. I'd listen to it through the room, right? As a young, young child. There you go. Uh, but again, very close to my mom. And then we, we, I lived in an area that's really interesting. It's kind of like a con. Everybody was very close to one another. So literally right next door to me was my my mother's, uh, my, my maternal grandparents. It's like extended family snow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it, so I had my grandmother, grandpa, grandfather next to me. Then I had an aunt and uncle right next to them across the street, another uncle, another across the street, another cousin, then another cousin. I mean, right there. And then, it, means, it means you couldn't get into trouble then, does it? No. I, I, <laughs> They all had eyes on me the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and um, then a few doors down on the left of me would be my paternal grandmother. Her, her name is Dolly Nutter. Um, perhaps like next to Melissa, the, the favorite, my most favorite human being I've ever met. Oh, wow. Well, good for you. She was fantastic. She would be 82 years old. And she's like, watch this. And she'd get down and do a flip flop on the ground. It's like, really? how many 82 year olds know wow. can do this? I'm like, well, I only know one. <laughs> so 100% of them. But. <laughs> <laughs> I had no frame of reference. <laughs> so family is important to you. Family is very important to me, and it's really interesting with family because you know it's really uh, it's about who you're with and who you choose with, and not necessarily who you grow up with sometimes. Yeah. And um, like my father wasn't really around when I'm a younger age. He was there, but compulsory. It felt you know. And then, uh, but I had some uncles who were around me who were like you know kind of stepped in and father figures, and I picked up a lot from them. And my grandfather, my grandpa Smith. Uh, West Virginia, a lot of work ethic in that space. Sure. Uh, was, it, was, it, was, it, was it the original mining mining area, or yeah, it was a, it's a it's a huge mining industry. Even for me growing up, it was. And when the mines were shut down or go on strike, it really had an impact on the area. It's crazy. But you know, my grandfather was like a genius. He was a machinist, and he he stayed out of the mines. Basically, they told me my whole time growing up: study hard, stay out of the Don't mines, get the miles, yeah. stay out of the chemical plants, yeah. yeah, go someplace else. That's good advice. Mines. It was great advice, and it, it kind of drove me out to an extent, but it also allowed me to realize there's there's other things that are outside. And yeah. So did you rekindle with your father in later life then? We did, yeah, uh, like in my 20s. And then it was, um, it was really interesting because he remarried, and his wife, my stepmother, was my best friend's aunt. Right. So we kind of, again, extended family, right? So it's... Uh, all close, yeah. It all worked out really well, and... Um, you know, unfortunately, my, my friend had an unfortunate incident, um, and uh, my, that brought my father and I closer together. Because I think he realized it could have been a coin toss to his mind. But uh, so we got together and um, started really growing. Like in my twenties through college, he was really there to support me. And then as an adult, he became very supportive of me and really helpful. And he was always there for me. Always loved when I come home. Always loved when I sent photos of my daughter to him. He'd gush over them and. Uh, when I started here, like 11 years ago, it was um, I kind of slowed down the photos because I was, I was getting ramped up into things, and he was constantly calling, asking, "Where's the photos? Where's the photos?" So I got sent him a big batch. Well, as I say, it's a it's a dying thing to physically send pictures now, isn't it? Really, uh, uh, everyone either sends you an image or you know to physically print something out. I was, th I was having this conversation only the other day that we don't produce any photo albums, so every periodically in the old days you'd print them out at the local shop and then put them in a photo album. Now they're just stored on the phone in the iCloud. And it I, is. I'm not sure that we would, you, know, you don't go back and look at them like a photo album. You don't. And it's incredibly, it's kind of sad really because um, with photos, 
Yeah, I lost my father. He passed away in 2014. And, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, yeah, it was, it was tough, especially because around that time we were just landing an account and like right after I had to go be on site and get everything up and running. But it, it kind of was nice to help. I found solace in the work, you know, kind of keep me directed into things. But, um, but as we're going through the house, we're seeing these photographs of my grandparents, my great grandparents. And this is at a time, especially in West Virginia, again, where everything was really difficult. But in the early 1900s, yeah, the area was booming because of the coal industry. So, but everybody had photos and it was like a big thing to have a photograph. So to have that object in my hand great. and to see it with clarity, I couldn't pinch zoom it, Sure, but you know, it was there and I could see it and I had that permanence to it. And it kind of like, there was something there that lives beyond, you know, uh, a person. So, you know, you go back and like, you know, I look at some of the old photos from like the early two thousands and they're so small because the digital cameras are so low resolution that you can't even make anything out of it now. Mm. And um, so it's really interesting, but um, it kind of got me into photography too, because yeah, I started looking at that. I, I, photography is a hobby. I kind of did it in college. I did some film work and then. Is that what you'd like to do as a passion? If I could, yes, absolutely. I would uh, be a photographer full time. I, I found uh, a niche in uh, like headshot photography. I like that a lot. Interesting. Yeah. yeah it started off with, with some actors, like at an acting studio in town I'm in. It's a big filming industry now in the area. Have you headshot at anyone famous? No. Well, <laughs> yet. Not yet. I've done some headshots with people who've had some like featured, uh, <laughs> featured extra roles in shows, <laughs> but, but nothing, uh, you know, anything large, anything in charge like that. But it's, um, it's interesting. I love doing headshots because it started with the actors because now you're trying to represent themselves as they look. But then I started getting into professional headshots. And the best part about that is I love it when someone walk in and feel very uncomfortable and very shy. I mean, I kind of, it, I'm not evil, I and mean, I, I like got off on the fact that they were stressed about it. But I love how it evolved over the conversation. Of, I'd set them up. I'd tell them, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going in. I'm let me adjust some focus, make some lighting. I'll just I'm gonna snap some shot, just kind of hang out, just chill." And the next thing I know, I'm showing, I'm turning around the camera, showing them images of them that they've never seen before of what they really look like because they're so used to these selfies and photos, and that distorts your face a lot. And like to see themselves, you know, best way possible. I definitely used to do my headshots. I'm convinced that, you know, the last photographer made me look 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> so I, I, I need to. It's lens choice. It's exactly, yeah. Yeah, I need to, I need to get that redone. Lens choice and light sculpting. And, and a lot of photoshopping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me a bit more about back to your father. How is the managing his passing has affected you and, and how have you handled that? Because I know a lot of people have to deal with these things. It's really difficult in kind of in a particular way because um, my sister and I, as we were cleaning out the house, and we had you know, his estate had a little bit of money left over. I mean, not a lot again, but we're like we need to do something to honor Dad out of this, and we're thinking about doing a trip to Europe to find out where our lineage came from. And she's doing a lot of uh, ancestry.com type of things, and so she mentioned um, like twenty three andme DNA testing. She's like, this will show you the lineage, you know, where your ancestors will come from because she's having a really hard time finding stuff on my mom's side of the family. And um, so we did that, and I found out that, uh, unfortunately, my, my dad wasn't my father. Oh, my God. Right. And uh, so... That's it, a shock. It was a shock. And the difficult part about it was it was so soon after I lost him. Right. It felt like I lost him twice. Oh, wow. And um, it really, really hurt. And then, um, but once I started finding out, you know, what's going on, you know, kind of the scheme... The, not the scheme, but the whole story of things behind what was what was happening. It started to explain a lot. I mentioned earlier we weren't close at a young age. He knew, 
Right. Yeah, he knew my my grandmother, my my maternal grandmother Dolly knew, um, and then my mom knew. Right. So. Um, and and did you talk to? Is your mom still around? Did you talk to your mom about it? Yeah, I talked to her about it, and I eventually got to meet my birth father. Oh wow! Now, I met him actually at the same client in North Carolina. Uh, he lives 20 minutes away from there. So after a client meeting, I went up and met him at a Cracker Barrel That's crazy. on the side of a highway. That's crazy. But it was insane because I'm six foot four. I'm towering over my whole family. Again, I always felt like the abdominal snowman in a Rudolph cartoon. <laughs> and I'm now like, you know. Yeah, I'm always putting a Christmas tree topper on and you know, toothaches and all, right? But um, <laughs> but but my biological father, uh, we're eye to eye. Wow. I shake his hand. It felt like shaking my own hand. It was really insane. So yeah. I, I guess you know, whilst you lost your, your your kind of you know um, father that you grew up with, you kind of gained another father post it. Unfortunately, no. Oh, I'm a, I'm a dirty secret to this guy. Uh, oh, okay. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, I'm his only biological lineage. Um, he has adopted children, and I don't really want to meddle. You know, um, that that creates some you know some bad karma, and I don't need to deal with that. I just deal with a roll with what I've got, and uh, but what it did do was it strengthened my love for my dad um, because he didn't have to support me. And he did. Yeah, yeah. He did. And my grandmother, again, the famous, the best woman I've ever met in my life next to Melissa, was, she didn't have to love me, but she did. And she poured it all out on me. I suspect this happens a tad more than people think. I think so, yeah. And it's it shows the amazingness of your father, the one that brought you up, that, you know, when you love a child... You love a child completely. It's great. You know, it's great to see. And and you've come yeah. and you've become a, a very adjusted family man. I know you're very proud of your your daughter. And, I am very proud of my daughter. You know, yes. and, and the pets. And so it's it's good. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's more the daughter than the pets. But yeah, the pets are nice and I love them. But yeah, the, the, my daughter and Melissa are the, are the light of my life. I may not do a DNA test now. <laughs> <laughs> you find my, some things out. Yeah. My, my, it's quite funny actually. My nephew, who's called Dolan. Uh, he he did a Me23 test to sort of find out more about our background, and it was in the UK. And you know how people are very excited about, you know, their kind of percentage of this and the percentage of that, and it comes back 100% Indian. <laughs> it's like complete waste of money. You know? <laughs> Again, my assumptions were correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. So I, I suspect if I had mine, that it would be 100% Indian. Yeah. You're undiluted, Ajit. been wonderful speaking to you. Um, you now is the opportunity for you to uh, ask me anything you'd like to well cool i've got a oh my god you're looking at your phone i, I do because I, I had a few questions i'm just going to roll the dice as do, we're do, we have, do we not have a limit uh, <laughs> no I'm, I'm, i'll keep it to one uh it's just i'm just trying to choose on the fly which ones i have a hard time deciding but so what are some words that you haven't said to somebody why haven't you said them and who should you have said them to Oh, that, that's a long question. So what, what are the words that I haven't what said? What words have you not said to somebody that you, maybe let's rephrase it. What words have you not said to somebody that you maybe should have or would like to have said? What was it and who was it to? Um, I think I'm lucky in that I've said, I lost my father in 2020. And I, yeah, we all sort of knew it was coming. So I, I'd, I'd said everything I wanted to say to my amazing dad. And I still miss him to this day, but I, I don't regret anything because I've said what I need to say. I often tell my wife how much I love her, and she's listening. I love you. So I've, um, I'm not aware that I've not said anything. I, I'm struggling on this one because I think, you know, me being a talkative guy, I've, I kind of tell most people how I feel and what I've said. I can't 
immediately think about what I haven't said. Maybe, maybe there's one back to family. I probably haven't given my sister enough credit for her support to me when I was a, a teenager. And she put me on the straight and narrow and helped me get my first you know, gig at work. And, you know, she was very mothering. I think we take older siblings to go for granted. Uh, um, I know you mentioned the importance of your sister as well. So maybe what I've not said enough is the importance that my sister played when I was growing up. Well, I can relate to that too. Um, my sister means the world to me as well. I mean, she's really like the only family I have left at this point. But, um, yeah. you know, she and I, even though we were so worried that this, the, the news with my father would diverges, but it actually brought us closer together. And my two girls, I know many people said that. I, I've told them many times, but I hope they do listen to that. I'm extraordinarily proud of both of my girls who are, you know, for me, they're the uh, um, characters out of Frozen. You know, they're, they're, they're two, <laughs> yeah. two princesses that love each other and complete the world, and uh, they're very strong, so I'm very proud of my... Well, I know how fond you are of Frozen and oh. Disney movies. <laughs> it's, it's exactly, yeah. it's exactly. They are, I watch it because of them, so yeah, I'm very proud of those two girls as well. But good question, Devin. So, Devin, just want to say thank you so much. Um, you've been an amazing guest, and, you know, you are a towering figure in the organization as well as at home. I love the passion and the drive that you bring. Thank you. You know, your upbringing and passion for your family relates to how you run your teams and what you do, and I appreciate everything you do. Thank yeah, you, Devin. Life is great. Thank you. Thank you. Join us soon for another episode of Tag Talk's Happy Hour with Ajit Kara and learn more about the people behind the job titles at Tag.